Well, greetings, dear friends. It's good to be with you once again for our Wednesday Bible classes. And I want to just get right into this class today. As you know, we have come from several years of looking at the Feast of Israel. All of those feasts gathered up from Passover to Tabernacles. And we are now simply bringing that as a sum, summing those feasts all up into one. And it's the one of whom they all speak, and the one in whom we are summing those feasts together is Christ himself. And we're talking about the reality of our union with Christ, the reality of our being in Christ. And when I say our, I mean everyone who is born again, everyone in whom Christ truly dwells. Everyone who by virtue of being joined unto the Lord by one spirit dwells in Christ. So we're talking about the reality of being in Christ. Throughout the Bible, very specifically in these feasts, but throughout the Word of God, throughout God's well, uh, dealing with Abraham and, and on and dealing with, in, in, in dealing with Israel throughout virtually the whole of the scripture we see this reality being spoken of God in the midst of his people God walking in the midst of his people we see it in the tabernacle we see it in the temple uh, we see it in the dealings of the Lord. We see it in the prophets. This reality to which we have come, and that is the reality of our union with Christ, reality of our being in Christ. It's not necessary that I remind you, but particularly in the epistles of Paul, not just exclusively there, but particularly in those epistles, is used this term, in Christ. And I think that there are there are a great deal of, of believers, and I'm not, I'm not talking to the church world now, or to the religious world, even the religious world of Christianity, but to believers who, who have, like I said, who are born again, uh, who have Christ as their very life, many of those believers have very little, if any, comprehension of what it means to be in Christ. Um, in John 14, in John 14, we've looked at it, and we may take another look at it today, but we, we've looked at it in John 14, particularly just before going to the cross, just before that great crisis that was coming into the world. I believe that I am right when I say the greatest crisis that has ever come into the world. That being the crisis of the cross. Now, I'll leave it right there except to say Jesus knowing the greatness and the magnitude of that crisis, Jesus knowing that all of the prophets, Peter says this as well, I mean, you know, Peter says this, but all of the prophets have spoken of that great crisis. 
And in many times it's been in types and shadows, which in later, in later sharings together we'll be looking at some of those types and shadows that involved Israel particularly. But all of the prophets have spoken of this time of great sorrow. All of this sorrow being born by the Lord himself and taken to the cross by the Lord himself. But the time of much gnashing, much weeping, much sorrow. And then they speak of the glory that is after that. Not 2,000 years after that, because the cross involves that death, that burial, and that resurrection. But it also involves, looking at the pattern of the feast now, also it involves the ascension and the coming again, as Christ said he would. John 14, in my Father's house, Jesus starts out. And he tells them that he is going to prepare that very place for them. And that when he, and that, and, and in verse 3, that, that he will come again. Not eventually, not eventually. He's talking about what is set right in front of them. Of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection, of this, of this crisis of the cross that is coming and he knows that it is going to be the crisis certainly of their lifetime. And I mean of their lifetime. And remember in their lifetime they went through all kind of persecution by the Jews. Even at first by Saul himself and then Paul. Paul who was Saul of Tarsus. Facing those same crisis events. A beating and jailed and eventually actually of death but Christ knows that the crisis that is about to come is far beyond anything that they will ever see and so he tells them I will come anew I will come anew and I will receive you unto myself into myself actually that where I am ye may be also and he's speaking to them of this reality of union with him that during the 33 years of him being on earth and that three and a half years that he was with them on a daily basis was not sufficient, was not sufficient to fulfill the salvation of which the scriptures did speak. So now he's talking to them about a salvation that he is right on the brink of fulfilling in himself through both his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension and showing himself unto the Father and his coming again in spirit to dwell in them that they may also dwell in him. Something that he has talked about, something the old covenant scriptures had spoken of, and yet him being there in the flesh had not fulfilled but was necessary to the fulfillment thereof. And so that brings us right up to what he said. I will come anew and receive you unto myself that where I am you may be also. The word there has been added and should never have been added. Because he isn't talking about a place where I am and you'll be there too. He is presenting himself as the place. And in verse 20 of John 14, he sums up what he has been saying 
at least there in that part of the narration that John records in the 14th chapter, he sums it up in verse 20 and says, in that day. Now, honey, isn't speaking of some 24-hour day. He isn't speaking of some dispensation that is yet to come. He's speaking of what they're all facing and will be a part of in very short order. In that day, you will know. The day he has described is the day of Pentecost, not the Jewish ritual, but the day that fully, that Pentecost was fully come, that everything Pentecost had stood for in the scriptures and in the rituals was fully come. In that day you will know, I am in my Father. This is the kingpin of the whole statement. This is what makes the whole statement possible. And if we went on to John 17, we would, we would see that. But we've talked about all of this. I'm simply gathering some things up for us. And you will know that I am in my Father. This explains the whole purpose of his three-and-a-half-year ministry. This explains the whole purpose of him ever being born of a woman. Born having a fleshly body. This explains that whole thing. Because in order to do that, he had left glory. Now, Paul's very, is very certain about that in his letter to the Philippians. And I think that in trying to interpret the Scriptures, we forget about these things, or we simply are ignorant of this reality. And the reality of which I'm speaking, honey, is that Christ himself is the absolute fullness, the purpose, the answer to everything written in this book from Genesis 1-1 on through the last scripture of the last letter that is enclosed in this book. Christ himself. It is about Him because everything that is there is fulfilled in Him. And, 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 and everything that is fulfilled in Him is because He's the fullness of that thing or all of those things gathered together in one. He makes the Scripture complete for he is the completeness of the salvation that is set forth in the scripture if we could only begin to get a hold of that that it's all about Christ because it is virtually all Christ himself the greatest gift of God to mankind, to you and I, to the church, is Christ Himself. See, we, I run out of words. But, hon, the comprehension of our salvation comes in what I've been calling the exalted view of Christ. Seeing in Him the allness of God, the fullness, the completement 
of our salvation and the reality of our union with the Father in the Son and thereby our union as the Lord's body one with another. Our union, hon, cannot be based upon what we call church doctrines. I have nothing against doctrines, but listen to me. What we call church doctrines and church teachings, and you know as well as I do that it is many of these things that have divided the body of Christ and still do divide the body of Christ. Doctrines on righteousness, doctrines on holiness, doctrines on this, doctrines on baptisms, doctrines, all of that. And yet, Christ is one. Christ is one. And we are, by virtue of being in Him, we are one. With one another as his and as being his one body. How is the body one? Because it's the body of one. One and only one live in that body. The book of Revelation starts out primarily with first the supreme exaltation of Christ. It's in those words, I am Alpha and Omega. Now, that's not talking about time periods. I, I'm always concerned when I read something written by a preacher, a teacher, even a precious brother, whoever, who tries to explain Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end, and first and last, using the term eternity's past and eternity future. But you see, you're still trying to trap eternity in the brackets of time. Christ came as the fullness of the time. Fullness of the time, whether it is speaking spiritually, which it is, but the fullness also of the times, T-I-M-E-S, of which we read from Genesis 1-1. We read about those times that are controlled by sun, moon, and stars given as signs and as times and as seasons. He came as the fullness of all of that because in Him we're not concerned with any longer with days and weeks and months and times and moons and new moons and feast days and holidays. No, not, not in Him. For He is the one day of the Lord. And, and really, hon, that is the Sabbath day. The whole Bible's built around the Sabbath day. Yes, it is, not only in your Old Testament, but in your New Testament as well. And he's the Lord of the Sabbath, I guess so. He is the Sabbath himself. He is that day, and the light of it, and the glory of it, and the rest and peace of it. And yet, see, so many are still looking for such a day, such a day to come. And that's when they use these terms, you know, eternity's past and eternity's future. But eternity, hon, even in any biblical definition you want to give it, in any biblical word search, be it Hebrew or Greek, you want to do, eternity is summed up in what Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That has nothing to do with time, it has to do with who he in his person is. The beginning. The beginning of all things, well, he's the beginning before there were any things. 
The end of all things, well, he and who he is gathers into himself the all things given of God. He goes beyond all things. He makes it one thing. <laughs> what greater salvation could there possibly be than the eternal one, the eternal Son of God, living in you? Answer me that. Would a greater salvation be us being in a city of some kind, somewhere, and he be in there also? Would that be greater than Christ living in you? Would that be a closer relationship and union with him than you living in him by virtue of he living in you? You know, it would not. And yet, how many believers today, I'm talking about spirit-filled believers, born-again believers, how many have, have even heard the terms that I've just used? I had... I had a pastor from a denominational, high-order denominational church tell me a couple of weekends ago, in, sitting in a home gathering, a gathering in a home, I have never, she said, in all of my life heard that I was in Christ and Christ was in me. Now, darling, that doesn't stop with that pastor, with that minister. That's the condition of much of the church world, and it's the condition of many born-again believers. And that's what we're talking about in these Wednesday night or Wednesday Bible classes, the reality of being in Christ. Back to verse 20, John 14, In that day you will know I am in my Father. Again, I said that's the kingpin. That's, that's the cap rock. That's That's what gathers everything together. Not that he left glory, but that he returned to glory. Not that he thought it not a thing to be held on to, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. No, not just that came, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, but that the work of the cross goes farther, goes on. It goes to burial, then it goes to resurrection, then it goes to ascension, and then it goes to coming again. Why, why would he not come again after going through the whole process of presenting himself in heaven as the fulfillment of all things that he had been given of the Father to do, the completement of all things, and then not come again and bring that completement right into the believer. whereby the church, which Paul calls the workmanship of God, was created. 
in Christ Jesus. The church, hon, is should never be looked at as a religion. It is the body of Christ. I am in my Father, verse 20, and you are in me. See? See, the whole purpose of him leaving and coming basically to the cross and before that, in that period of time, spending his time with his disciples that he himself chose and began to talk to them about these things. And in John 20, where I'm quoting, that's exactly what he's doing, talking to them about these things that are about to take place and did take place. But what a glorious place into which he has brought us. What a glorious reality. I am in my Father. And you in me. And I in you. Now that's what I mean when I say we're looking at the reality of our being in Christ. Paul applies that to the believer. He applies it to the body of Christ, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who filleth all in all. Paul applies that to the kingdom of God. Paul applies that to the new heaven and the new earth. Paul applies that to the new creation in Christ, which gathers up the new heaven and the new earth. He gathers it all up into, the, in, 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 into verse 20 of John 14. Salvation is that kind of a reality, darling. Now, what I want to talk to us about is just exactly what I've said, but I want to bring the reality of being in Christ as much as we can from an earthly view to the heavenly view. By that I mean that we should understand that being in Christ is not something, is not a place that we are while we're occupying the earth, and then we will die and go to another place or a greater place. No. No, being in Christ is that place. Being in Christ is that reality. When, you, when your body dies, when your body ceases to function and you physically die, You will not leave that reality. That reality of your being in Christ will not be affected. And you won't go to a greater reality either. That you may be, that you may be, that where I am, you may be also. What I'm telling you, hon, is that's where you are now. If Christ be in you. And to me, there just is no greater reality. I'm so weary. Well, yes, I am. I'm just weary. of the arguments 
on Bible, so-called Bible doctrines, doctrines of salvation and all of that. Christ being the eternal word and that eternal word being the word who dwelleth in you, it seems to me to put the word doctrine in maybe back into its proper place, it seems to me that Christ is the doctrine of salvation. Shouldn't our heart be focused on knowing Him? And in Him, beholding the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, in Him, beholding the glory of God, in Him, beholding the richness of grace, in Him finding the riches of wisdom and knowledge, understanding. In Him beginning to comprehend the fullness that He is. In Him walking in the light as He is in the light. What a salvation. <laughs> one thing I never get, hon, one thing I never get, I never get bored. I never get bored. Because the one in whom I dwell is Alpha, Omega, And he is new and newness at all times. It's not that he's showing me something other than himself that's new, something I've never seen before. No, he's showing me himself. And working in my soul a comprehension of himself that I have never known before. But who is this one in whom I dwell, who is by his own spirit showing me this? Who is he? He is the Alpha and Omega. How long will he be that? <laughs> He will always be that. See, we're all in kind of a time warp. And we think that physical death's going to get us out of it. No. No. Coming to understand our being in Him and what that means. And, under, and you understand what that means by the understanding of the one in whom we dwell. But coming to know Christ is what gets you out of the time warp. Never well, I won't go into that. But one of our greatest enemies is being caught in that time warp. 
we're always looking for a new day. You know, we're tired of Monday, we're waiting on Tuesday, and tired of Tuesday, waiting on Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday, and all of a sudden, we're back before we started Monday. Because we're trying to find something new based on those days. Based on those days. When we bring that right over into our concept of religion, we do that. We do that. Christians that are, you know, just weary, 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 weary in their walk, weary, just waiting to go to heaven. By whatever means they believe that they're going to get there. But then they talk about heaven in that same time warp. It's like that heaven is me living a long time. Heaven, darling, in reality, in the very substance of the thing, is Christ living in me and living in you. There is no, there is no time beginning and no time in you know, attached to that end. Nothing, no. But always walking, growing, knowing Him. That isn't confined to these, to these earth bodies, though Paul says now, and he says that after he said some tremendous things there in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 and, and on into 5 and well, right on through there. But he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now I'm not trying to put words into Paul's mouth or trying to say this is what he was thinking or whatever, but I know, I know some of the things I think. Now, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. But the earthen vessels themselves cannot contain this treasure. And he says that as well. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And he has a reason for saying that there, and I won't go through the rest of that chapter with you, but because he's showing some of the circumstances that at least his earthen vessel gets in almost every day. And his answer to that that he can still rejoice in being in Christ and freely and willingly and, you know, and, and, and he's not looking for a deliverance out of the situations all of the time or looking for better situations all the time. He's living in the best situation there is. He's in Christ. And in the end of that chapter or down toward it, he says, do you know how we do this? We do this by not looking at what is seen, but by looking at what is not seen. And he's talking about that reality of Christ being in them, and them being in Christ, and them having bodies, but they are actually His one body. And that all of the disruption that's going on around them doesn't change that. In fact, he, they use that as an opportunity of sharing the life that is in them. And will continue to do it as long as they are in those earthen vessels. But when those earthen vessels end, as His certainly did, the reality of which He spoke simply continues and continues to abound, to abound, to abound in His very soul. 
Oh, my, my. Well, I'm talking about that, the reality of being in Christ. Not as an earthly view, something that will end when I die in the flesh. You know, hon, the only death that I will ever face, I've already faced it. I faced it in the cross. I faced it in Christ. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Darling, that's death. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I. Not me. No, but Christ liveth in me. And who is it who lives in us? Because that's the last thing he says in verse 20, and I in you. Who is it that lives in us? The one who told Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't do resurrections. Life is not something that I simply give. I am. He's talking about a relationship, hun, of which I've just been speaking. And it's that relationship into which you're called by the Spirit of God, and what a shame it is to be in such a relationship and have no real Spirit-given comprehension of it. But to be told by the majority, or, or, or meant much, much of the church world and, and all of that, that that relationship is yet to come, and not even really that relationship. We'll just be, you know, somewhere where He is. My Lord, hon, my word. We're now in Him. And He is in us, and who is He? He's the resurrection and the life. And He says, those who were dead in sin will find life in Me. And those who find life in Me shall never die. And in another place it says, shall never see death. Now I'm not telling you that my natural body will not stop functioning one day. I'm telling you, I will not die. Oh, this body will go to dust. Honey, do you understand that we are not a soul, or that we are not a body, rather, that has a soul. We are a soul that has a body. And as that soul, whose life is Christ, whose resurrection is now the indwelling Christ, I will never see death. So why should I live in fear of death? That fear is conquered at the cross. This is what it means to be in Christ, hon. This is what I'm talking about when I say coming from an earthly view to a heavenly view of this glorious, glorious reality. Being in 
Christ. Well, let me let me look at some verses here. Let me look at some verses here with this. Let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews 8, verse 1 through 7. We're talking about being in Christ. Hebrews 8, verse 1 through 7 is all that I'm going to read. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. This is a tremendous summing up by this Hebrew writer. Let me just say one thing. There is, there is this divine order set in the Scriptures. It's, all, it's throughout the Scriptures. You find it in Genesis, the first chapter, and it goes on. And, 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 it, and in Revelation, you know, the last book, at least in our Bible, uh, and it goes on, this order. And it is always Christ first, then those that are His. That's, that's the order of our salvation. And, and, and in John 14, 20, I read it. You will know that I am in my Father. Following that, and because of that, and in union with that, and you are in me. Oh, darling, what kind of a salvation would it be if he just said, you will know that I am in my Father? And then just stop there. Okay. He came down. He went back. And there he is. Where does that leave me? Where does that leave you? Well, waiting for a place, I guess. Or waiting to go someplace where he is. Now listen to me. Or waiting to one day by some means or another be there. He said that 2,000 years ago to his disciples who were about to go into the greatest crisis ever to come upon the face of the world, which was the cross. Now I haven't got time to explain to you why I say the greatest crisis, but I'm telling you that it is. Just one little thing, there at the cross, a whole creation came to its end. A whole world, the world of Israel, the world of Old Covenant Israel, that whole age came to its end. E-N-D. End. Lord, how, how most people hate that word, hate that finality. But to his disciples who are about to face that, and he not be there standing with them. No, not, not for that period of time. What good would it do them if he said, you will know I am in my Father? Well, if you just stop there, it would mean, man, yeah, but you're not here with us, and that's the whole problem. 
And that's the whole problem, hon, in the church world today. There's too much of that lack of comprehension present and being preached. And, and, and I wrote a little note here. I wrote a little note here. All we do when we say, one day God will do this, one day God will do that, one day, one day we'll be here, one day we'll, that one day business. All we do when we say that is to cover up our ignorance of what He has already done in Christ. So the order there is yes, you will know I am in my Father, and you will know that you are in me. Where I am, there you will be also. And you will know that because I am in you. I'm not going to get to read Hebrews 8. But see, sum, sum up. This is the sum. Well, Paul has already said in Ephesians chapter 1, and he brings it all down to verse 9 and 10 there. He gathers, he, he gathers everything he says in Ephesians. He gathers it into verses 9 and 10. Everything he starts out saying, everything he ends up saying, he gathers it all back to this reality that the whole plan and purpose of God, the whole thing that has been kept as the very mystery of God in Christ. Is that through the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he hath gathered together in one all things, even in Christ. Both in heaven and in earth, even in Him. And the word there means, gathered together, it means He hath summed up. He summed up what, hon? He summed up everything. Everything of his, everything that he purposed and planned and chose and set forth before the foundation of the world. He has summed it up in Christ. And that's what I said a while ago when I said, Darling, if we really had understanding, we'd have but one doctrine, and that doctrine would be Christ. And one doctrine that we were really searching, that we may know Him and grow up in that understanding of Him, which can only be worked in us by the Spirit of God. What a doctrine. I believe the better term for it is, you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. And if the Son hath made you free, relating to that very verse, you are free indeed. Hebrews 8, the sum of all things. Let me just read that verse 1. Because he started out. Look how he started out in Hebrews 1. God who in sundry time and divers manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets. In times past. Hath in the end of those days. God hath in the end of those days spoken in son. And, and, and look at the exaltation of that son. 
in that first chapter. Look how the Son is exalted. How the Son is exalted in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. How the Son is exalted. Look at it. Because it's always Christ first, Christ first, Christ first, the head first, the head first. And then those that are His. Look at this. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're not out here on the perimeter somewhere just watching some kind of a of, of, of a parade go by, watching some kind of a of a the, of, of, a, of a, uh, a theater play take place on the platform and we're just watching it go on. No. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not men. This is all talking about His body, which body you are. And then chapter 9 just gets better. For there we see this one hath not in, entered into the types and shadows of heaven, as the old high priest did, into the holy of holies. No, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. The word for is, should be translated there, and is properly translated on our behalf. On our behalf. Why? Because he's one place and we're another? No. Because we are in him. And he is in us. And the one who is who appears before the Father is the one in whom we dwell. And the one who appears to you and I, right on down in Hebrews 9. 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, the one who appears to you and I, you and I who look for him, is the one who is in us. What a glorious reality. All right, I'm out of time. We're going to stop on this tonight, and then we'll continue with the reality of being in Christ. Amen. The Lord bless. It's good to have you with us. And if there's any way we can be of help, ministry to you, please let us know. If you have questions, if you have comments, we welcome those. You can call us. Email us or just write a letter, whichever. Or you can come see us. We'd love to have you here. But if there's any way that we can help you, let us know. And I must also say to you who, who have taken it from the Lord to share with us in your support, for what we are now doing. What we're doing right now as you're looking at me. And that is from this place reaching out beyond ourselves with this gospel. Reaching out throughout the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and around the world. And for you who help us to do that and make it possible for us to do that. May the Lord richly bless you and thank you for it. We're finished. Amen.